text today comes from Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to turn there, I'm going to do a little bit of intro before I actually read the text. The book of Hebrews is so named because it's written to the Jewish Christians in Jesus' day. You can imagine being a Jew who became a Christian in the first century, how difficult that would be. Because if you were Jewish and became a Christian, you would not be liked and appreciated by your own people and your own faith. But this new budding faith that's just getting started, you're not really well accepted there either. So as you're a Jewish Christian, you're, you're wrestling with uh, what to do when your family members are rejecting you, when your faith is rejecting you. You don't know quite your place in this new Christian thing either. Are you Jewish? Are you Christian? What are you going to do? So the author of Hebrews writes this book trying to encourage the Christians to see what they're uh, to keep with their faith, to stay with in the midst of a bunch of persecution. There's a tradition that says this might be the author Paul, but it doesn't say Paul, and it doesn't seem to be Paul's wording and Paul's theme, so I think it's pretty doubtful that Paul wrote it. In the context leading up to Hebrews chapter 12, the author has developed this case that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. That all the things that the Jewish people loved about their faith and felt were important about their faith Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. So Jesus is the better high priest. He's the better temple. He's the better better Torah. He's the fulfillment. He is everything that the Jews were looking for and were celebrating in fulfillment. Now after chapter 12, in chapter 12 and as he finishes the letter, the author of Hebrews focuses the switch to the implications of this amazing work of Jesus. What does it mean if Jesus is the fulfillment of all this stuff that we live a certain way? And he encourages the people not to grow weary or faint-hearted because they are being persecuted right now, but to pursue God's kingdom and not be shaken. The people could not go back to their sacrifices, but they should listen to the leaders and continue in the faith. Right there in the middle of this transition is the verses that we're going to pay attention to today. So the author is switching from the Jewish faith to the faith today and trying to make this bridge. And here it is, the verse, the bulletin says we're going to read 13 verses, but I just want to read the first two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now what is expected here, laid out by the author of Hebrews, is really pretty clear. We, we want you, I want you to run with endurance the race set before you. This is a pretty common metaphor. We use it even to this day. That life is like a journey or life is like a race and you've got to keep going. You've got to endure. It's not a sprint. How many of you have lived parts of your life as sprints? It doesn't work that way, right? It's a marathon. You've got to pace. You've got to keep moving. God has set a path for you to follow and you've got to run with endurance. You can't stop. You can't fade. You've got to keep going. To do that, the author says you've got to set aside any weights. 
you're going to endure anything that's going to hold you down, any extra weight you're carrying, you've got to drop. What is holding you back from really following Jesus? Fear, debt, harmful relationships, bad habits. You've got to dump those things. You've also got to set aside sin. Sin really holds you back. If you've got sin that's unrepentant, that keeps popping up, it keeps you distant from God, and you're never going to have God as your real source of endurance. And you've got to look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Him. I mean, look can have a couple different senses, right? Keep your eyes on Him. You can imagine Peter sinking in the water when he takes his eyes off of Jesus. But also you can look to someone for advice. You can look to someone for counsel and look to someone for strength. And I wonder here if the author of Hebrews describes both. That Jesus is the author and perfecter. That we look to him and we keep our eyes on him, but we also got, gain strength from him. Now that all makes sense. And it, it's there, it's clear. What's not so clear and what is an interesting phrase is the way the author of Hebrews introduces this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also. And he continues. Think about it. Therefore, since and also. The author of Hebrews goes out of the way three different times to say, because of all this cloud of witnesses, we need to run the race with endurance. So what does he mean by this cloud of witnesses? Well, we live in a time where we use the term cloud, right? If you have a phone or you're on the internet, we have this thing they call a cloud. And none of us really understands how it works. But apparently, there's this cloud of information out there. And you can set your information on your phone to store to that cloud and then access it whenever you want it. The cloud was our image, but the culture has sort of taken it now. In those days, a cloud was a reference to a group, or the old word was a throng, like a group of people. So if somebody had a bunch of followers and they were walking along and there was a group of people behind them, it would be like a cloud following them. But the author says, surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. So imagine we are in a stadium. You've got to use some imagination here. We're in a stadium. And around us are the stadium seats. And in those seats are those witnesses. Now what are witnesses? Witnesses are those who have seen and testified those who have gone on before. And in the context, it's very clear that he's just been talking about the faith of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these Jewish characters. So what he means is the great heroes of the faith surround us. They sit in the stands with us. And since they're there looking over us, we should live a certain way. Actually, very interesting. The word here for witness in Greek is the word from which we get the word martyr. Because at first, martyrs were just witnesses. People who saw and testified about Jesus, they were called martyrs, and many of them died for their faith, hence we use the word martyr for someone who dies for the faith. But these witnesses, they didn't all die for their faith, but that's, that's what the word originally meant, was witnesses. And only because so many of them died do we use the word martyr today. So imagine we are in the arena. We're living life right now, and surrounding us in the stands are these saints who have gone on before us. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Paul, but many other characters, right? The John Calvins and the Martin Luthers and the John Knox and 
and maybe your parents and your grandparents or a pastor you knew that really had an impact on you, a Sunday school teacher. They surround us, and because they surround us, we should find a certain strength in them. I started to really think about this text differently when I was in England. Because in England, I got to go to Westminster Abbey and a number of other chapels. And and Westminster Abbey is right next to the the British Parliament that has Big Ben, not Ben Roethlisberger, the real one, the big clock, which is actually not that big if you're ever there. Um, But Westminster Abbey is this chapel run by the Church of England, which is a state church, and that church in particular is run by the Queen. And in there are buried all these different important people. Some of them are national figures. Um, I, I got to see the grave of William Pitt, from which Pittsburgh is named. Charles Darwin is buried there. Sir Isaac Newton is buried there. So you walk into this church and immediately you're, you're walking through all these graves, walking through all these statues, or many of them are actually buried in the floor. So you're walking on their tombstones and they're buried beneath you. Many kings and queens are buried there, many named James, Charles, uh, Henry, and a number of Marys, including Mary, Queen of Scots, and Mary I of England. Anybody know what, what else was Mary I called? Bloody Mary. She's Bloody Mary. She's buried there as well. There's a whole corner of the church called Poet's Corner where Charles Dickens is, is buried. Uh, Rudyard Kipling is buried there, and a number of others are marked. And so I'm walking into this, and it does not feel like a church to me. And it's very much like a museum. You pay your money to get in, and you're walking around looking at all these. And then I come across this one big stone, and it's a guy named David Livingston. Now over here, we might not be as familiar with David Livingston, but he was a very important character in the 1800s in England. He was a missionary to Africa. He was one of the first real explorers. He started really checking out the Nile and saying, we need to understand how this river works and where it comes from did some of the earliest medical missions that we have. He went over there and saw that people were hurting and in pain and needed medical attention, so he started bringing over doctors. He also wrote a lot about the slave trade in Africa, and some of his writings were were really important in, in the abolition of slavery. He died there in Africa of dysentery, of bleeding, internal bleeding and dysentery due to malaria that he picked up while he was there. And so I'm standing over this grave of this great hero of the faith, right? And I'm looking at it. I found out later, actually, not all of them is even buried there. That when he was, when he died in Africa, the people he worked with cut out his heart. And his heart is buried in Africa because what they said is that that's where his heart truly was. And so I'm standing over this, this great hero of the faith. And I grew up in a time when you didn't, you know, when you go to graveyards, you don't walk where everybody's buried. But here, it's the floor. You can't help it. You have to walk. Seemed disrespectful at first, but then it seemed special to stand in the place where these people have been, to stand on what they have built in their faith. There were several other chapels I went to, and many of them had graveyards of important figures on the way into the church. So you'd have to walk through all these, these cemetery stones of important people on your way into the church. Often, when you got in there, some of them were memorialized on the stained glass and on the walls and even buried in the floor. 
just a different sense of cloud of witnesses, right? That I'm there in the middle of these people who have gone on before and paved the way for my faith. We were staying in Cambridge most of the time, and there is a, there's a chapel there at Jesus College across the street from where I was staying. And the chapel was actually, actually predates the, the college that's there. It was built in the 1200s. That's how old this thing was. And it was actually the chapel that a man named Thomas Cramner worked out. And if you were raised Episcopalian, you know that name. He wrote, he put together the Book of Common Prayer, which was really, really important for the Protestants in their worship. Um, And in fact, your worship service today is modeled a lot off of his work. And he was at that chapel. That's where he was. And he taught for about the first 10 years of his life. And so late at night, one night, we went over to that chapel. That chapel was just open till midnight. And Jesus College, believe it or not, is not a Christian school at all over there. So nobody's in the chapel. So me and a couple of friends go into this chapel. And the chapel is shaped like a cross, like a lot of the old chapels would be. So you had the long part, and you had a skinnier cross piece. And we stood in the middle of this grand ceiling. Most of the ceilings over there are meant to look like the inside of a boat. So we were fishers of men, and we are worshiping in a boat. And in fact, our, our ceiling still reflects that a little bit today. So we, we went in there in the middle of the night. Well, it was about 11 o'clock at night, and we just started singing. And there are about six or seven of us in this chapel singing. We didn't know it, but there were a couple of us that were very good at parts, singing parts. I was not one of those people. And so we just started singing and just singing hymns and singing the doxology and singing all kinds of stuff. And it was like our six or seven people became 60 or 70. It just echoed and filled this space. And so we're in this place of such history together. As Protestants, we just don't do this. We don't pay attention to the cloud of witnesses, and there's a reason for that. If you go to Westminster Abbey, it's not altogether clear who's really being worshipped in that space. So there's, there's some problems with this line of thinking. We worship God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think Hebrews is clear on that, right? In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He starts it, he completes it. It's not all these cloud of witnesses that add to our faith. But in some way, they're with us. Not in some supernatural, there's ghosts of, the, the, of Christians past all around us. But we stand in their tradition. We stand in their line. And I wonder if as Protestants we've missed out on something. A connection with the past. It's definitely here in the Bible, this cloud, this ever-growing cloud. Every year we add more names to the cloud. Maybe there's a strength to be there. That we are not alone. That they made it to glory and so can we. That we are standing on what they built. It's a very hard time, I think, to be a church. To be a Christian in our culture. And I think it's probably going to get harder. I think it's, it's going to get harder for us to not look like our culture. But we're not the first ones to struggle with that. The Hebrews struggled with that, that we're reading this book of the Bible. Many Christians have gone on who have struggled with some of these same things. It's different, but it's also the same. Who is in your cloud of witnesses? Who is it that has already gone to be with the Lord that had an impact on your faith in your life? Was it your parents? 
your grandparents, maybe a child that you lost that taught you something, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a person of faith in the church. For me, a lot of the people that have had a big impact on my life are still living, and so they're not in the cloud yet. But I would point to some other people who have gone on before and through their writings have impacted me. C.S. Lewis and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, John Calvin and Martin Luther. Who stands in the crowds as you're worshiping? Who sings in the choir as you sing with us Sunday morning? We don't worship them, but they worship Jesus with us in some way. They're there at the communion table. They're there in our singing. Maybe the other question for you this morning is, what race are you running that you need some endurance? Where is your endurance being tested in your life? What weights and sin are holding you back from really following God's will? Where do you need to look more to Jesus? Maybe the cloud of witnesses can draw us closer to Christ and give us a little bit of strength for this journey. Now this whole thing got me thinking. In our church, we have nothing like this. And we're not really going to start burying anybody in the floor, I don't think. And I think it's going to get ridiculous if we put, started putting statues of important people up. Like, that's just not how we're going to go. But, but I did wonder if there might be some way that we could represent this cloud of Christians who have gone on before us. And so, so uh, I, we're going to try something. Today I brought with me, I built for this week, a cloud. I just wrote on it, Mandy wrote on it, cloud of witnesses. And I wondered if we might come forward, and over the next couple weeks, as people are not here, they can add to the cloud, if we might just write names of those who are in our cloud. The saints who have gone before, who have had impact on our faith. As a reminder of those people as we worship. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put on some music and uh, invite you forward. I've got some Sharpies. I'm going to ask that you put some of the people that are in your cloud, just write their name here. You don't have to sign your name. And they might be very personal. They may not be, they might not be people I know or anybody else knows, but somebody that impacted you, go ahead and put them on here. Um, and you might think of another one this week, and you can add it next week, because we're going to do this for a few weeks, we're going to have this available. What I wanted was some way for us to represent, not, not to worship, not, not to, uh, to venerate, or, but to represent the fact that we are standing in a tradition that there are people that have poured into our lives and into our faith that in some way can give us strength when we realize they lived that Christian faith. They endured the race. Maybe we can too. So I'll invite you in a few minutes to come forward, add names. Uh, we'll just kind of fill this space. And if some people write big and some people write small, that's okay. And if some people have a big list and some people have a small list. That's okay. I'm not going to police the cloud at all. You can come forward and just start writing. If you're a guest, we have some guests here today. If you're a guest, you can come forward to write names that meant something to your cloud. And you might even have some people that you don't remember their name. 
But maybe it was your second grade Sunday school teacher. You have no idea who that is. But you know they had an impact on you. You know they modeled something for you. Add them to the cloud too. Um, The songs I'm going to play, I've got songs I'm going to play over the sound system. One is God of Our Fathers. It's number 419 in the hymnal. And For All the Saints, number 751, if you want to follow along at all with the lyrics to that. Does anybody have any questions? We're okay? Then as you feel led, come forward and start adding names. And we'll just spread around this as best we can. I've got four Sharpies, so we can be writing in different areas of the cloud. When you're ready, come forward. Come forward.